0: everybody, you're listening to fabradiointernational.com and the show is The Bookworm. I'm your host Ed Fortune and I'm here with...
1: Producer Al.
0: So, we have a, a bit of a special show in the sense that we're going to do a little bit of news and then we're going to do an absolute pile of uh, interviews uh, from previous shows. Um, that's because you might, be, you might be thinking, hmm, you normally do that when you're, you're coming to the end or you're about to do a holiday or something. Well, we're about to relaunch the show. The next time you listen to this, we should be brave new words. Coming up next, quick news. So, uh, boot news. Uh, we're going to have this. We're going to have Cassandra Clare on. Um, as an interview. We, had, we interviewed her a little while ago. Uh, that's not big news. Now is the fact that the interview is also with Holly Black. That's not big news, Ivan. What is big news is that Simon and Shushle have signed Cassandra Clare uh, for a new series. Ooh. So, Sam and Shuster have acquired a new a new series of novels from American young, young adult author Cassandra Clare, um, and it's exploring the life and times of Magnus Bain, who's a character from her Shadowhunter series, which is currently a TV show.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, uh, That's getting very good uh, gifting on Tumblr.
0: Uh, th- that's how we do reviews these
1: days. <laughs> Give it on Tumblr. Uh, how many
0: gifts are on Tumblr? Um, the series will be co-written by science fiction author Wesley Chew. Hey, he won the uh, John W. Campbell Best New Writer Award, which is basically the Hugo Award for Best New Writer. But they don't call it the Hugo Award for Best New Writer, and you don't get a rocket. So you, you, you <laughs> I don't know if you get like a John W. Campbell statue or something. I don't know. Actually, I have to. I wasn't paying attention when I was last at the Hugo Award. Uh, <laughs> that will be pu- published in uh, hardback. Uh, in twenty seventeen. Uh Simon Schuster will also publish exclusively a history of notable shadow hunters uh, and Denizens of the downworld by Claire, illustrated by Cassandra Starkweather Jean, um whoever she is. Uh, it's gonna be a hardware gift book style thing. So one of those one of those lovely kind of chunky books that you can use to, you know, fend off burglars and prevent dogs from attacking you. uh yeah, so so that's a bit exciting if you're a massive fan of this series. I'm guessing that Nympha would be very cheesy. Nympha would
1: almost certainly be very excited about that. We should also mention it's a bank holiday weekend here in, in Britain, as well as being Memorial Day weekend in America, which is why we're a light on people.
0: Well, yes, uh, <laughs> half of them are either at festivals or running around or in Ninfa's case, I think she's trying to prevent the world from ending again. Again? Yeah, it yeah. happens quite often to Nynpha, to be honest. Um, Claire said, over the years of writing the Shadowhunters books, Magnus Bain has emerged as one of the most fun and fascinating characters for me to bring to life. He's always had a lot of secrets. Uh, so mm. many things we don't know about Magnus Bain from, from the, his, the story of his first love, oh, uh, to the secrets of his parentage, uh, to the beginning of his relationship with Alec. I always feel by the way, that when that happens, when they, they do the thing where they go, oh, he he is this mysterious dark stranger. Let let's <laughs> tell them about their lives. they are like, no, I don't want to know that. Logan was once, you know, Wolverine was once blonde, and you know, liked flowers. I don't care. Uh,
2: I think
1: I, it depends. I think I think there's a very fine balance to be struck between we know nothing about this character, um, and we know absolutely everything. Uh, I I would like to know some things about some characters, in uh, very specific circumstances.
0: As far as I know, uh, you may remember that there was a bit of a fight between Cassandra Clare and um, Sherilyn <laughs> Kenyon. A uh, bit of a fact Over similarities between fisticuffs
1: cuffs at legal legal proceedings.
0: Uh as far as I'm aware, that kind of has kind of been a damn square. Yeah. It's gone away. I think someone, I think someone wandered into a bookshop, looked at the young adult shelf, and went, "No." <laughs> similarities really, uh, because what sells sells at the end of the day, yeah. and people will always look for what's similar. Uh, moving on, uh, we are not on YouTube; we are on um, Twitter as Radio Bookgram, uh, soon to be brave new words, and we're also on Tumblr. Um, but you can find uh, all sorts of things on YouTube, including a guy called Dan the Diamond, um, who has a Minecraft. He has a Minecraft show. His the diamond he does Minecraft if you're a small child then you love Minecraft probably because apparently it's like crack as I understand it it's like it's like toffee it's like laden cocaine as far well as I <laughs> understand for children uh, uh, combined with Lego so that, that that's apparently what uh, Minecraft is uh, I don't know I, mean, I don't
1: understand Minecraft
0: unfortunately it, I understand Lego
1: yeah,
0: and Lego. But uh, yes, so Dan of the Diamond, Minecraft, real name Dan Middleton, has a YouTube channel, and he's one of the is, many...
1: Is this a different Dan to the Dan that's on fire?
0: I think this is a different Dan who isn't on fire. Okay. I'm not sure if this is the Dan who's on fire. Right. I don't think he's Dan on fire. Okay. Dan on fire is also someone on YouTube who I think has also had a book deal. Yes. So if you've spent years writing books and desperately trying to get published, get on YouTube, apparently. Uh, and well,
1: apparently, I, I was reading yesterday for very tangential reasons that all the serious car reviews these days are on YouTube. Interesting. Yeah. <sighs> moving on.
0: It's not, got nothing to do with the subject. but no. Okay, yes, YouTube apparently is the place to be. There, there have been an absolute shed load of book deals related to YouTube uh, mm. recently, so yeah. Right, moving swiftly on. Uh, headline plans bumper year for Neil Gaiman. They've planted him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now they're going to harvest uh, <laughs> a bumper crop.
1: That's <laughs> every slightly working, isn't
0: it? I, I can see him doing that, though.
1: I don't know if if you got like a man that's selling him his performance art, I think he'd do it.
0: Uh, so uh, there's going to be eight titles. Uh, plus a live broadcast uh, event scheduled in London for the publication of The, the View from the cheap sh- Seats. If you've not seen Neil Gaiman live, by the way, he's very charming. Uh, the eight titles are Neil Gaiman's Lightly Stories, uh, which is tying in the Sky Arts TV series, uh, which is going to have, yeah, that looks really good, actually, Lightly Stories. I mean, obviously it's got Johnny Vegas and Tom Hughes and the usual people that you expect to see in British TV. Uh, there's going to be an adapted graphic novel version of How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Um, with artwork, f- oh, artwork Including uh, Fabio Moon and Gabriel Bar, uh, who won an ice known a little while ago. Did they win? I believe they won an ice known a little while ago. There's going to be yet another edition of Neverwhere because yay! <laughs> cause we don't- because we need more versions of Neverwhere. Um, I've still got the comics in the original book when it came out. I've got the VHS somewhere as well. Um, that's going to be illustrated by apparently Chris Riddell, which is fair enough because uh, he's very good at that. There's going to be. Where do I
1: know that name from?
0: Uh, fortunately, the milk.
3: Ah.
0: Uh, Zoid. Uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that he's done he's Chris Riddell, we really like Chris Riddell he's amazing Uh, let's see, uh, there's going to be another oh my goodness um so there's going to be uh, the American Gods collection because obviously Brian Fuller is doing a TV series called American Gods which is based on the books that's coming out someone was actually asked, he was talking about that recently on, on the internet and he was saying he's very excited by it uh, apparently they haven't had to do much updating with American Gods uh, they've changed the the twiddles that Technical Boy has because Technical Boy was written in 2000 and uh, spoilers not a spoiler for American Gods at all by the way it's about American Gods so one of them is the god of technology he's called Technical Boy uh, in 2000 he was really into MySpace obviously, when they update it, he's going to be really into Tumblr, or what have you. Maybe WhatsApp. I don't know. Um, if, if you want to tell me how the internet works, please contact me by the internet on Radio Bookworm, or at Radio Bookworm on Twitter. Or you can get in touch via Starburst magazine, at Starburst underscore mag, if you really want. They'll look slightly confused, and go, oh yes, that's it. Right, fine. Uh, moving on. Uh, yeah, so basically, Headline has a huge plan for Neil Gaiman next year, and that's probably because Neil Gaiman's doing an absolute shedload of stuff, which you will know is anyway, but he's got a whole. If you're a Neil Gaiman fan, there's a whole lot of new Neil Gaiman books coming out, um, and some of them are reissues of old stories, but in fancy, fancy new clothes. Uh, and yeah, there's a TV series. He's basically doing a bit of a road doll at this point. Yeah, he really is. I mean, his TV show. He's doing a TV series of short stories that are slightly creepy. All we need now is the tales of the unexpected mu- mu- music, and he'll have he'll have transformed into. Anyway. Uh, Coronation Street Director wins uh, an award for a young adult de- debut. Um, Welsh TV director Griff Rowland has won the Welsh Children's Literary Awards, the Tiena uh, oh. Award. It is. Have I pronounced that wrong? I-
1: I'm going to presume so.
0: Tiena Nog. Oh, Tiena Nog. Uh, Tiena, Nog. Tiena Nog. Uh, You're just say-
1: saying it the same way every time.
0: Okay, I don't, don't speak Welsh. It's P. Welly, isn't it? Mm. A little listener, producer, and I'll a spell, I will do speak Welsh
3: <laughs> <coughs>
0: to an extent, and she gets very annoyed when I can't say things like you know, land Fair, PG. So, anyway, uh, how's that pronounced again? Um, move on. <laughs> the TNA inaugural award celebrates new literary titles with an authentic Welsh background written in both English and Welsh. Well, the director of such shows so, as Coronation Street and Hollywood Oaks, um claimed the 2016 award at the Cymru Library Information Conference was well, a, a shortlist announcement that was made in April and apparently he's part of the formidable wealth of talent and passion for literature across Wales well we well, need that, that. that's
1: true yeah yeah we yeah, need it's that it's not does not
0: Wells is, I mean, you, you can just, you run out of fingers if you try and count, count how many major Welsh actors there's been, mm. and then you get into Welsh script writers and you and get into poetry. poetry. It's Wales, it's, you know, it's, it, there's something about the place that just inspires creativity. Um, but yeah, I love Wales. I really do. I really like it when we get there as well. We should put them all arts festivals as well, so we really should. And then report about them on the show. Uh, yes, so Stephen King, amongst other writers who are opposing Donald Trump. Uh, well, the thing is, Stephen King's going to do that anyway because he's a Democrat. Anyway, uh, Stephen King is one of the hundreds of resident authors in the US who have signed a letter, open letter, on I Petition. Uh, it also can be found in the F- the Financial Times You know I used to say the FT for the Financial Times And then someone went, do you mean the Financial Times or the Fortean Times And I was like, <laughs> well, that's a good point actually And sometimes they're very similar So uh, yeah, the Financial Times is what talking about. Essentially a bunch of Literary Hub Style big names uh, including 10 Pulitzer winners such as Jennifer Egan, Janet Diaz uh, Dave Eggers uh, Amy Tan, Stephen Elliott, not all of these won Pulitzers but you know what we're saying uh, big names in the world of American literature both saying don't, don't vote for Trump please, uh, as a British person who doesn't get to vote in American elections because I'm a British person um,
1: please don't vote for Trump
0: please don't vote for Trump, it's just unseemly I mean, what are you doing? Come on, put that away. Stop playing with it and get on with your day. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. So um, it's interesting actually because I know Joe Joe Hill is also um, a Democrat. Uh, he's voting Hillary
4: because
0: mm. because he's with the the firemen. The people are like, are you are you, you going to feel the burn? Because no. fire, fireman, he's like, actually, I'm voting Hillary. So, but anyway. Yes. Uh, well, we'd never dream of telling anyone how to vote or what to do with their politics but come on um, please moving up, please. on audiobook sales so, uh, 20% in the US so that's again not a surprise is it? I
1: mean, hang is, on 20% of what?
0: Of sales, of, from the last. Oh,
1: so, so yeah. they've increased 20% it's of sales.
0: Twi- yeah, hence the soaring.
1: Oh, okay, yes, that was not clear. The, uh, not like 20% of the entire book sales industry now or something.
0: Uh, not quite, but uh, I think it's getting there. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that, that's <laughs> the
1: commuting thing, isn't it?
0: Altogether, sales of adult audiobooks account for 90% of overall audiobook sales, with fiction the most popular ca- category. So, my goodness. So it's gone from, let's say uh, 1 point, uh, 1.22 billion pounds Good equivalent, 1.7, 1.78 billion dollars because we're talking about the American uh, industry, which of course affects us. Uh, yeah, so audiobooks, yeah, it's that thing, It's the
1: commuting thing, isn't
0: it? it? It's pretty much, I mean, I do that. I, I just sometimes, sometimes also you wake up and you just can't be bothered to stare at another thing for a while. You know, it's like I can stare at nothing. I can stare at the space. Or I can keep. I can have my eyes closed and my headphones on. I can sit on that seat that I've, you know, wrestled bare to get onto on public transport. Uh, and now I can sit. oh you're in a traffic jam, and you're just like, oh. you know what? I'm in a traffic jam, and everything's awful. But at least this 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 fantasy character is beating up this orc, so that's a good. thing. <laughs> something to be happy about. Shall we? Uh, shall we move on? Okay. So, um, we got a chance to talk to Cecil Baldwin from Nightville Film. Um, he he was very lovely and very charming, and we're going to play that interview again because it's rather nice. So, coming up now, Cecil Baldwin. This is Fab Radio Cecil International. Baldwin, welcome International. to the book
2: world. Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: So, what can you tell us about the Welcome to Nightville
2: book? Yes. Uh, there's a novel that is coming out in October. Um, it's really great. Uh, I've, I've read it a couple of times. Uh, it's by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner, of course. Um, it is a lot of your favorite characters from the podcast make an appearance in the novel. Um, although the novel kind of centers around, uh, uh, three new characters that you've not really met in the podcast. And the idea is that this novel should be able to stand alone. Uh, you should be able to pick it up, whether you've never heard of Nightville before at all, or whether you've listened to all 70, 80 episodes that we've, uh, created of the podcast. Uh, um, and, and both of those uh situations you should be able to enjoy the novel. It's really great it's funny it's scary uh it's it's uh kind of uh heartwarming in places um and it's just a really fun adventure um yeah, highly recommend how much is
0: Cecil from Welcome to Nightville like Cecil in real life?
2: Um you know there there's there's slight differences. I I mean it's it's not too far off the mark. Uh um just you know I I find that the best acting is when you bring yourself to the to the character. Um so a lot of times when I get a script and and I uh kind of read the lines um I kind of bring myself to that and and I react the way I would react in that situation. Now obviously You know, that's not appropriate all the time. Um, So I I would say uh, uh, Cecil Palmer, the the character, is uh, more optimistic and a little more um, willing to accept things the way they are. And I, I, think I'm a little bit more cynical, and and oftentimes a little more questioning. Um, you know, if I lived in a in a town where you know the, the the sort of city council is the sort of horrible eldritch abomination that you know could eat people at any moment, I, I would you know probably question my place in that town a little more than Cecil than Cecil Palmer the character does. Um, but yeah, I, I like to think that uh, Cecil the character is a huffle. Puffs and I am Slytherin.
0: How familiar were you with creepy horror before you started at Nightvale?
2: I was I was actually quite familiar with it. Um I've been a horror fan for my entire adult life. Uh you know, when I was a teenager I, I used to watch a lot of horror movies. Uh in here in the US they have um there's a network that did sort of late night cult movies uh on the weekends uh called Up All Night and it was hosted by Gilbert Gottfried or Rhonda Shear, and they just pulled out just the worst Terrible, bad, you know, B movies, um, and I was and I was in love with that when I was a teenager, and uh, you know, and then as I got older, I kind of you know, um, you know, was exposed to you know, uh, and of course I read like Stephen King and things like that, and then when I got older, I kind of got exposed to more H.P. Lovecraft and. Um, you know, I kind of branched out in the horror movies and my taste got a little more sophisticated and, you know, I I, I kind of fell in love with David Lynch and David Cronenberg and, um, the sort of Italian horror filmmakers like Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento and, you know, uh, people like that. Um, so I, you know, I've been a fan of this sort of, you know, all the different kinds of, uh, um, you know, suspense or horror. Uh, I, I, I was pretty clear with it. So when Joseph brought me the pilot script, the very first script, um, not only did I get the humor of it, uh, which is something very subtle and very dry, um, but I also understood the the, the spookiness of it, the, the the creepiness that is sort of inherent in this um, man at a microphone broadcasting a radio show out into the unknown. Um, and, you know, very early on, Joseph and Jeffrey and I talked about that sort of creepiness, that sort of existential creepiness of Cecil's dilemma whether he, he, he's never quite sure if, if there are other people out there in the world because he seems to be stuck inside this radio studio all the time um, and just how creepy that alone can be. What is the appeal of horror? Well, I think we we like to test ourselves. Um, It's a way for humanity to to, uh, confront our darkest fears uh, in a safe environment. You know, when you go camping and, you know, it's the end of the night and you're sitting around the campfire and you're telling ghost stories... It's a way for you to sort of sort of see what you're made of and test your metal um, because it's uh, it, it, it's a way to say what if I was confronted by you know a, a, a maniac wielding a knife what if I was you know suddenly aliens came down and I was abducted and taken to a foreign place that I had never been to before would I be able to survive would I be able to make it would I you know be able to get through it um I, I find that, uh, uh, um, I can't remember who said it, but, uh, I, I want to say this, maybe Wes Craven even, uh, said that, that horror movies are like uh, a, a testing ground for the teenage soul. Um, and that's, you know, specifically talking about sort of like horror films. Uh, but it's, it's a way for, you know, horror movies, uh, books, things like that are a way for us to, to sort of, uh, see what we're made of and, and go, if I was in that situation, what would I do? Um, and I think, you know, people like that and, uh, they, they want to be challenged and they want to be, uh, you know, kind of put in that situation in theory. Um, and there's something very intimate about radio, uh, you know, but I, I find that there, there's something almost even more intimate about radio than there is about reading a book or um, watching a film because... You're forming the images in your brain while a person is speaking to you. And, you know, you don't know what that person looks like on, you know, on the other end of the radio dial, but you you have this image and, there, and it's like they're talking directly to you. So I think when that intimacy combined with the uh, the sort of challenge of, you know, if I was living in a crazy town where one day, you know, oranges or orange juice started, you know, turning into like monsters, what would I do? How would I react? Um, And I think that's something very appealing Um, and, you know, kind of got people hooked. And I think that's why a lot of our listeners keep coming back is because they've formed this familiar relationship with Cecil Palmer and they, they want to see if they can exist in this world that he exists in.
0: What is the secret of Nightville's success?
2: That's a very good question. I mean, it's, it was actually it was very surprising when we started becoming more and more popular. I, I think uh, probably two reasons um, that I can think of, which are the fact that uh, a lot of our fan base grew over Tumblr. Which I'm um, you know, I don't know that much about the demographics of Tumblr at all. But I I do know that like a lot of kind of you know, teenagers use Tumblr uh I think more than uh uh you know, kind of like twenty, thirty, forty somethings. Um and I think that was, you know, kind of the beginning of that. Uh, I think also, you know, teenagers just have a tendency to latch on to a, a, a project like a TV or a, sh- a show or a book or even a character. And and they kind of like really invest themselves in that project. Um, now, uh, I, I also think that uh, the show appeals to teenagers in a very specific way because it is very sincere. Um, it, it is it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I feel like we're living in a world where everything is kind of tinged with sarcasm and eye rolling. And, uh, and and hearing, you know, and, and, and nobody can really trust. The media, you know, like we watch reality TV and we know it's not real, but we kind of believe that it is real and, and that's kind of the norm. You know, we watch, you know, movies that are, you know, sort of taken on a shaky, you know, handy cam and we're like, we know that this is a fiction, but it's made to look real. And I think there is something about Night Vale which is very sincere in its emotional honesty. Um, it's not, Sugarcoating the world, like we, you know, on the show, we we talk about, you know, a lot of really heavy, heavy stuff, like you know, death and uh, you know, breaking up and and losing your one true love and you know, all this sort of business. And but we do it in a way that is neither uh, talking down to the audience and is also um, kind of hopeful at the same time. Um, you know, it's it's, uh, and I think uh, you know, the sort of teenagers. were kind of used to you know growing up with the kardashians as you know kind of the background noise you know i think this is a very honest and uh just refreshing take on the world that we live in and i think uh, a lot of you know like a lot of kids kind of responded to that what do you have planned next um well my still going. Uh we we're not planning on stopping anytime soon. Uh um I mean I do work on other projects. Uh you know, currently I um I work with a bunch of uh, writers out of San Francisco. Uh, when they're on the East Coast, here in New York, uh, they, they uh, we do an evening called Shipwreck, where um, a bunch of writers get together and they pick a famous novel and they write erotic fan fiction uh, about the characters in that novel, and I read them aloud in front of a live audience and um the audience votes for which is their favorite that's always a really fun time um i work with a theater company here in new york called the neo-futurists uh that which is very fulfilling and you know sort of ongoing uh project of mine um and then you know i just try to audition for whatever i can get my hands on and you know hopefully something fun will turn up soon
0: would you like to do voice work for anyone else
2: Uh, I would love to, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I I would love to do uh, cartoon anime character voices. Uh, A lot of that is shot out in LA, like that's where they hire a lot of those voice actors from, Uh, but maybe someday I'll end up uh, getting into that game as well. I mean, I just recently did uh, a voice for a character on uh, Gravity Falls on Disney XD uh, called Cad Strange. Uh, It's kind of a popular TV show over here. Um, Hopefully, they'll ask me back sometime soon. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I would love to do it again.
0: Which episodes of Night Vale scared you personally?
2: It's <laughs> scared me personally um i'm trying to think of a plot line that is i I don't know i think cassette was probably pretty creepy to me um you know i think there's something very spooky about uh the idea of finding old cassette tapes of you as a child that you don't remember making And then, you know, over the course of the episode, you realize that this sort of younger you is in grave danger um, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And obviously, you don't remember it happening. So you have to wonder who who is it that this danger is happening to? Was that you? Was it somebody else? Is it a part of you that you blocked out? Yeah, I thought that was pretty creepy. And that one's kind of stuck with me for a while.
0: You and only you can save one book that will survive until the sun dies. What book would that be?
2: Um, one book. Um, that's a tough one because I would imagine I'd want it to be you know quite a large book. Uh, you know, if I was only allowed one, um, I would probably go with you know go with the classics, go with the complete works of William Shakespeare. You know, that's always good. The Simpsons or Futurama? Uh, Simpsons or
0: Futurama? Um, I would say Simpsons. Dario Argento or Stephen King?
2: Uh, Dario Argento. Truth or beauty? Truth or beauty. Um, Well, uh, you know, let's go beauty. I'm a pretty shallow person, and the truth hurts sometimes. So let's stick with this. I'd rather be pretty.
0: Cecil Baldwin, thank you very much for your time.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Fab Radio International. International. Across the world.
0: 24 hours a day. So that was the lovely Cecil Baldwin. In case you have missed it, because we've been going on about it for a while, we are changing the name of the show to Brief New Words. Uh, the format's going to be a little bit different. We're going to have uh, a bit of book stand-up at the start, so it's going to be a bit more rapid fire at the very start. Then we're going to do um, a one book review per per week, uh, mostly because trying to do two book reviews uh, a week was insanity, uh, and we started to kind of, you know, there's only the you can only do two books f- with the team up like like ours for so long and uh, we kind of want to stay more current so we're going to do one book and then we're going to do a kind of more discussion around that book and the themes that the book brings up so it's going to be a bit more of a book cluby kind of discussion-y thing if you don't like any of that let us know and we can always change it uh, we are still going to stick with the interviews, we're still going to stick with the kind of current event boot news, we're going to be a little bit more reliable coming out as well, fingers crossed, um, and we're going to have more of an ensemble cast as well, so there's going to be more voices, uh, but not talking over each other, just being very excited about books, which is the kind of the point of the show, uh, you'll be able to still find us in the usual place, So we're still, we're still with Starbusters magazine, uh, we'll still be on Twitter, uh, we are talking about doing a deal with another popular podcast family, but more on that as it happens. Uh, and yeah, so that's pretty much where we are. Um, and this, uh, we're kind of waving goodbye to the bookworm today, really, mm. as a format. It's, it's, a, it's interesting because the very first bookworm show I did on my own in a studio it was a bit scary Uh, and then I had my then I realised I couldn't do it on my own I got my friends together and the first live show was with myself producer Al and Ninfa Uh, and that was that was interesting very very interesting (laughs) But, um, Josh. Yes. So, uh, coming up next, we're going to talk to uh, another Ed. We're going to talk to Ed Cox. I'm Ed Fortune. And uh, I get to talk to Ed Cox because he's lovely. And he's got a new book out as well. Now, he's, I think he's in this one, he's talking about the Relic Guild. But the, the third book of the Relic Guild series is out now. And you should read the entire thing because it is essentially a fantasy version of the Avengers and it's great fun. So, coming up now, Ed Cox. This is Fab Radio is Fab International. International. Ed Cox, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you
3: for having me. So what can you tell us about the Relic Guild? The Relic Guild? Um. Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting this question, now I've got to... <laughs> I've been trying to perfect a pitch for it. Um. Okay, uh, at the heart of an endless maze, there's a city that's been abandoned for 40 years. It's surrounded by 100 um, 100 feet high walls. And there are a million humans living in this city. Um, and one of them, a girl called Clara, has been born touched by magic. And she knows that, as such, she is an illegal presence in the Labyrinth Society, which has got nowhere to escape to. And then she discovers that an age-old menace has returned to the town. And she has to track down the last of an aging group of magikers called the Relic Guild, Um, And together they have to find out a way to um, escape their city and contact the worlds outside their walls. Um, to save the lives of one million humans. And it's the first part of a trilogy. What inspired you to write The Relic Guild? I've been telling a, a people a lot that it's it's an amalgamation of ideas that I've hoarded over the years. And really, it's me throwing my arms around all the things that I've loved, all the things that have that have inspired me, and pulling them into a story, which includes the, the superhero mythos. And I would also say that it's as much to do with the role-playing games that I've played as it is to do with um, the, the superhero us you know there's definitely that that vibe of a um fellowship you know the and a a group made up of people with individual powers that kind of complement the group as a whole but then those characters don't necessarily have to get on
0: why are so many fantasy writers fantasy gamers as well
3: (laughs) um well first and foremost fantasy games are just the best games you know um it's been a long time since I played RPGs on the tabletop but I, I, I always did like that um, that camaraderie coming together um, you know getting together once a week and um, you're just you're making your own adventure it's, it's just a love of stories I think you know in, in fantasy games especially the RPG games there's um, such a strong leaning towards that story and you're a part of that story you feel like you're telling it as you're going along and I, I think that's um, that's a key ingredient to people's loves for it is being involved in the story. Uh, Ah, you know, I would say that the biggest challenge that I faced is that the the story is is split into two different timelines, and these timelines are separated by 40 years. Um, But I I didn't want to tell two different stories. I wanted to tell one story, but with these um, varying timelines, but interweaving them in a way where they were all telling the same story, not to sound like I'm repeating myself, but, you know, it was fun. One of the challenges and one of the most rewarding things was giving the reader pieces of information that actually don't make sense until you then see them in the other timeline and things start connecting uh, as the story goes along. I think that was the hardest and most rewarding thing to do in the book. What challenges did you face with this novel? Um, well, I <sighs> That if you talk to fantasy fans they'll tell you that it never went away but i certainly do think that um having big hits in other mediums um game of thrones being an obvious choice in the lord of the rings films i think that and harry potter as well um, that's brought it to um a wider audience again i think it's made it more acceptable and it's placed it a little bit more in the mainstream when people are accepting it as just you know good stories
0: What is your next big project?
3: My next big project is the third book of the Relic Guild sequence. Um, I've just handed in book two, and now I'm into book three. And this is where I discover (laughs) um, that I have or I haven't connected everything up in the way that I thought I had. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's going to be a big undertaking. I've just started writing the third book. I'm about 10,000 words in. And this is going to conclude the whole story. Everything I've been writing so far has been leading towards this book, and that's going to be at least a year before that's finished.
0: If you got to blend
3: in someone else's sandpit, what would it be? oh that's a good question um you know there are there is a side of me the big fanboy side of me that kind of quite likes the idea of writing a doctor who story not for the television show i don't think but um you know maybe a little novella or a short novel or something like that but there is another part of me that has to admit that i don't think i'd be very good at writing doctor who because i would want to write it would only have to be like a davros story or something like that and i I i'm not sure i'd be a bit worried about handling that material but uh, certainly Doctor Who has crossed my mind. What
0: advice would you have for a 16-year-old version of yourself?
3: Be patient. Sit down and do the work. Um, I remember myself at that age writing stories out and just finishing a story, not really considering what I'd done and just handing it to people and wanting that pat on the head and for them to tell me that it's great, you know, And when I had people that would tell me the truth to say, this, um, this reads like you've made it up as you've gone along which I had you know it was kind of a bit soul destroying but I'd go back and tell myself that you know you you have to work at what you're doing which I found which I learned the hard way in the end but yeah I'd like to have learned that earlier what do you plan to do next after you finish this series a couple of ideas I've got one uh, one story called Sycamore which has been at the back of my head for about 10 years now um, I've got a, cup, a notebook somewhere filled up with notes about it um, and I think that'll probably be steering towards the dying earth um, subgenre I think uh, probably that, probably Sycamore about a man who, um, who, who sort of gets haunted and if he sees, he gets shown visions of ghosts' deaths ghosts that have been murdered and um, ghosts of murder victims and if he sees that vision then he gets haunted by the ghost until he kills the person who killed them. That's the kind of basic premise for it. So I think I'd probably go back to that idea. It's been on my mind lately.
0: You do tend to write on the darker side. Why do you like fantasy?
3: I've had a, a, lot, a lot of work out there over the years and quite a few people have said to me that um, I tend to write on the darker side but I've never considered myself as a horror writer. I don't mind horror. I like, I like horror a lot. Um, but I think I, I write fantasy but more incorporates elements of horror i like i like finding the things that scare me and then trying to scare other people with it
0: who inspires
3: there, you there are certainly writers that i admire that, I, that um people like uh, writing today like neil gaiman um angela carter was another one i always find myself fascinating reading her work um trying to figure out how she puts everything together she's got very 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 um eloquent style i think um you know, there's uh, there's Tad Williams, uh, Susanna Clark, I read um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell recently, a few years ago, um, and that really impressed me.
0: If you stranded on a desert island with only one book for company,
3: what would it be? One book for company? Oh, wow. Um... I think I'd have to go I think I'd have to go for something long, something big like Memory Thorn and Sorrow by Tad Williams. So it would take me a long time to read and then I'd uh, yeah, and then I probably forget loads of it by the time I got to the end and have to start again. <laughs> Simpsons or Future Oh, uh Simpsons. Ah, <laughs> uh, surprises me. I didn't think I'd say that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Wizards or Time Lords? Wizards.
0: Truth or Beauty? <sighs> truth. Ed Cox, thank you very much for coming on the show.
3: Oh, thank you very much for having me.
0: So, that was a chat with Ed Cox. Um, Obviously... Uh, he was talking about the Relic Guild which is now the the third book of the Relic Guild series is out now and you should get very excited. I think it's out now, it's coming soon but um, yeah, Zed Cox is lovely we've talked to him before as well but we just thought we'd play that one because it's kind of interesting and fun and cool. So we are running out of time and interview space It's a bit lovely this, we've done quite well with the Truth and Beauty so far, Mm -hmm. I believe we have one for Beauty and one for Truth, so let's see what Holly Black and Cassandra Clare say when we get them to talk about the book the darkest part in the forest which came out last year holly black and cassandra clare welcome to the Bookworm.
5: thank you thank you for having us thank you
0: and can you tell us who you are and what the new book is please
5: hi i'm holly black hi i'm cassandra clare and we are the co-authors of the magisterium series the first book of which the iron trial is just out
4: Um, It's a book about a 12-year-old boy named Callum Hunt who really, really, really doesn't want to go to magic school. Um, His father has told him that if he attends magic school, he'll be murdered by the teachers down in the caves, which is where the school is located. And so all that he wants is not to go.
5: But that doesn't work out so well for
4: him, as well, you might explain. As you might imagine, that doesn't work out for him.
0: How much has Harry Potter had an influence on the Magisterium and similar works?
5: Um, it it I think it certainly uh is influenced by I mean there's a, obviously a really there's a, a genre of magic school books um you know that exist prior to perhaps the most famous magic school book that you may be referring to Harry Potter um and you know this takes from obviously magic school books but uh I think what we wanted to do is ring certain change on it it's not a parody by any stretch of the imagination but um I believe it does I believe it does contain some surprises.
4: I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, as Holly said, it's not a parody, you know, it, it definitely participates seriously in the genre but without those other magic school books, um... It couldn't exist I think is is also true um, we deliberately um, mirror aspects of famous uh, children's series I mean, like Harry Potter like Percy Jackson things like that because it sets up certain expectations in the reader they think that they know the story that they're going to get because they are familiar with it and so without being able to build those expectations in the readers because of their familiarity I don't think that the surprises would
5: work
0: why is fantasy so popular now
4: I don't think that there's never been a time when fantasy wasn't
5: popular. Um, I think that certainly, though... Um, you know, I grew up, you know, in the, the 70s and 80s, and there was a lot of fantasy that was hugely popular then. And now, as an adult, I know that myself and my peers are some of the people who are creating fantasy. So I think that, you know, as you come of age, you go, you know, you reach back to the stuff that you loved growing up.
4: I and mean, every genre creates its own, every, every, sorry, every generation creates its own fantasy, I think. And, and fantasy changes um, as per generation. For instance, Lord of the Rings was one generation's fantasy, and then we have Anne Rice as another generation's fantasy, and then we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, and you know, and then we have Percy Jackson and so we, we, we sort of evolve our fantasy as as generations evolve and each one kind of reflects the people who are writing it.
0: How different is this work from The Mortal Instruments*?
4: Well, I mean, it was very different. Um, The Mortal Instrument series is um, built along the lines of mythology. It it contains a lot of angel and demon mythology, you know, very deliberately draws on sort of Dante's Inferno and Paradise Lost and creates this whole race of angels and demons and um, war in heaven type stuff. Everything takes place on a very big scale. Um, And as well as being, you know, different because it's a co-written project and so i'm not the only one working on it and making the decisions obviously i but the magisterium takes place on on a slightly more intimate scale of what happens to these people and their school and their situation and their families um and so it's it's interesting to draw i think on a slightly less uh epic canvas, um, and also, of course, to write about different a different age group. I mean, the, the the protagonists of the Mortal Instruments are teenagers, largely in the 16, 17, 18 years old, and uh, with Iron Trial, our, uh, Callum, our main character, is 12. So his concerns are very different.
0: How does the Magisterium books compare with the Spiderwick Chronicles? <laughs> well,
4: I mean... You know,
5: uh, I've written young adult and I've written much, much younger. And um Magisterium is sort of interestingly in the middle. I mean it's older than Spiderwick, certainly. Um and uh Very, very different in terms of, um, you know, I was drawing on folklore with Spiderwick. You know, Tony and I were working with, you know, the long tradition of fairy folklore. And with Magisterium, you know, we, Cassie and I, got to create a magic system from scratch. Um, We got to make all the decisions about it rather than with fairy folklore where you're, you know, you want it to feel like a reflection of those stories. So that was very
0: different. Holly, what can you tell me about the darkest part of the forest?
5: Oh, well, it's funny that we talk about Spider-Rick and fairy folklore, because um, Darkest Part of the Forest, uh, I'm actually returning to some fairy folklore, but for teenagers. It was really fun to go back and get to draw on those stories again. It's uh, set in a town called Fairfold, which uh, where they have a horned prince in a glass coffin out in the forest, and tourists come to take their pictures with him. Kids go out there to party um, beside him, and um, two kids who've grown up there, uh, Hazel and Ben, I've told each other stories about him for as long as they can remember and then one day the prince isn't there anymore and they have
0: to figure out why that's what it's about cassandra what can you tell us about dark artifices
4: Mm. <laughs> I'm working on uh, the first book right now. It's called Lady Midnight, and it's a uh, companion piece to the Mortal Instruments um, series. And uh, I ended the Mortal Instruments series by really shaking up the government of the of the magical world that's in which it takes place. And so for me, it's, it's quite interesting because um, now I, I'm revisiting the world five years down the line and sort of seeing the repercussions of... Uh, what's changed about the world now that they've made sort of they've made a series of new laws that are that are actually pretty bad laws and so what what's happened to the society of these shadow hunters after um their world's changed in this way and i'm also it's set in los angeles and um revolves around the 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 teenagers who live in the institute of los angeles and uh it's great for me because that's where i grew up um and i set uh mortal instruments in new york which is where i lived as an adult but when i was a child and when i was a teenager i lived in los angeles and so for me to get to revisit la and to write about it the way that a teenager experiences it is a very exciting thing because i'm writing about my own experiences of that city when i was a teenager
0: how did the pair of you end up working together
4: We've actually been friends for 12 years.
5: um, uh, We were friends uh, from just a little bit after my first book, Tithe, came out. Um, I met Cassie in New York um, at my very first book signing. She came out to see me. We had corresponded a little bit before that and we got to be critique partners. And so when you are two writers who have known each other a really long time, you often think, huh, maybe we should do a project together. So it was just a matter of finding the right project. And, um, you know, one day we just got to talking and we started talking about this idea and we thought it would be something that would be really fun to do together and lo, we have
0: and how does working together work for you?
4: Well, we have a what we think is probably an unusual system, but um, I suppose every collaboration is different. We uh, usually need to be in the same place, in the same room. Um, We work on a computer that's pretty dedicated to Magisterium, and so I'll write, say, 500 words, 600 words, and then pass the computer to Holly. She'll write over what I've written, edit it, change it, add, subtract, and then um, she'll write her own 600 words, pass it back to me. I'll write over what she's written add subtract change alter and then you know so on and so what it creates is a very unified voice um there's no portion of the text that was only really written by one of us or worked on by one of us and so um because everything is from our hero's point of view from callum's point of view we really wanted to create the sense of a voice for him and um was singular and so we uh, wanted to write the book in a manner that where you couldn't tell who had written what and we put it to the ultimate test we gave it to our mothers to read they both read it and they couldn't tell who had written what
0: what's next
4: well um for a long time i've wanted to write a high fantasy
5: series um I, it was the very first thing i started working on before i started working on time and i sometimes i think that I might be ready to do it it's, uh, I mean it's a big commitment It's creating a lot of um, Different things at the same time You know creating a whole world um, But it's something that I'd like to do someday
4: And for lo- uh, many years I worked uh, Actually as a journalist Before I was a fiction writer And I worked for tabloid magazines So reporting on the lives of the rich and famous And reporting on the gossip And I've always thought that it would be fun To write a behind this like a To write about somebody who worked for a tabloid magazine to write a realistic fiction book that's like kind of a bit um, of a behind the scenes tell-all kind of adventure about what that's like
0: What inspires you?
4: Uh, for me, it's, uh, the, and this is Cassie speaking, it's ab- travel. I mean, absolutely traveling. Um, I travel a lot, and poor Holly has to come with me a lot of the time. But um, I being in another part of the world, being in another country, um, being in beautiful places, that uh, experiencing different cultures, that's what um, ab- inspires me, absolutely.
5: For me, probably the thing I find most inspiring is folklore and fairy tales and myths, and um, often artwork associated with those as well I, I really um, am drawn to visual inspiration um, mm-hmm. but you know I think sometimes you just don't even know where the inspiration comes from it's just the odd thought combined with the weird thing you know the strange obsession for instance for a while I remember reading about the subway tunnels in New York and sort of just becoming really interested with the people who lived there um, and I have no idea why that interested me at The time I became, and then later it found its way into a book. So I think sometimes I don't even know what the thing is that's going to inspire me.
4: Yeah, and for me, like I got the idea for my series, The Informal Devices, when I was crossing Blackfriars Bridge in London, and I suddenly had this idea. So, um, for a series set in London, and so definitely, um, for some whatever reason, being away from home um, sets off my imagination.
0: What advice would you give to a 16 year old version of yourself?
4: Buy a structured blazer. <laughs> that is good advice <laughs> yeah um, don't date that guy um if I think I would probably tell myself if I, if I was meeting the 16 year old me and I wanted to talk about writing and not you know tell myself to you know avoid the mistakes that I've made in my life in some other way I would tell myself um that I should stop uh, that that I, I used to be a person who compulsively took love Lots and lots of notes And did lots of outlines for, for books And I'm still an outliner But I would write, you know, fill pages With lots of details about characters And their things they liked And things they hated And their favorite food And their favorite color And I would tell myself to stop doing that Because um, you get to know your characters And your story by writing them I would say just get to the writing And, you know, you'll come to know the characters As they act on the page And through the choices they make And then you'll go back and, and edit and you'll, you know, with your new knowledge. But um, no matter how many pages of notebooks you fill, you'll never get to know them otherwise.
0: Truth or beauty?
4: Truth, beauty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> I thought beauty was truth, and truth, beauty.
0: <laughs> Holly Black, Cassandra Clare. Thank you very much for coming on the show.
4: I was thank lovely you. to talk to you. Thank you.
0: This is Fab Radio International. International.
2: International. Hello, Manchester. This is Tim from the Red Plastic Buddha. To Fab Radio International. What is that interstellar? Mm -hmm. One step at a time.
0: Well, it's a last goodbye from me at Fortune and.
1: Oh, producer. The Bookworm was a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International, and Starburst Magazine, presented by Ed Fortune, Nympha Hayes, Rebecca Derrick, Cy Lloyd, and Russ Smith, produced by A.L. Davis.